This week we reviewed a horror movie like we promised we would. End of the line from 2007 on the docket. Stay tuned after the theme for our thoughts. And, sadly, no Stranger Things this week. Scheduling conflicts prevented that from happening, but we were joined by a friend of the show, Pop Culture Junkie, to recap the controversy that happened at this year's WWE Hell in a Cell pay-per-view event. That's right, it's time to do the thing. season of spook we have a movie that we're going to talk about which i'm very excited for because any spooktober fan cannot be a true spooktober fan unless you just watch a plethora of horror movies and we actually just got done watching end of the line yeah we kicked it off with a hell of a movie oh doggy <laughs> i had a Part of me wishes this was the movie we ended the month with. A little bit. But at the same time, I think for me, it was the perfect movie to get me in the mood for the rest of the stuff I want to watch. Not just for the podcast, but just because this is like one of the best times of the year. So before we get into it, I do have a question to ask you about your overall experience with this movie. Okay. On a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rate your comfort level while watching it? Okay, so like 1 being uncomfortable, 10 being like I'm chilling with like my hand down my pants. Like 10 being gelling like a felon, and 1 being like just 100% skeeved out. <sighs> Honestly, I think I'm going to put this at a 3. Yeah, it's about accurate. Yeah, because... A lot of the themes don't scare me, and we'll get into why, but the way the it was done, the present, yes, the presentation, and then also a couple of the characters just really got under my skin, and I may or may not have had a slightly harder time falling asleep last night because of it, Oh, I but passed I still slept. Oh, I still, no, I like, it took me a second to just like find the right mindset before going to bed. And then afterwards I was fine. No nightmares or anything like that because it really isn't that type of horror movie. Um, but just like thinking, because I was thinking about it on my drive home, just about the full package. Um, yeah. So. Beforehand, I just want to kind of highlight. So yeah, like Nancy said, we are watching, we did watch End of the Line. It's a Canadian horror film. From 2007. And yeah. What, what, what we're doing with our spook test here is we're watching films from each decade we've been alive through. We, we use the term we liberally because he's got a decade on me. So, <laughs> so we'll be watching films from the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, and today. So we started off with this beauty and Which, like i said i think it was a good a good way to really kick start the season of spook so end of the line is a film about a woman named karen 
who went through some shit. Some traumatizing shit. This is the best way to put it. The movie deals with crazy religious doomsday cults. And just, oh, it was creepy. So the movie itself is about, is like I said, about the woman Karen. Um, she is a survivor of of an attack that they show you throughout the movie that the that the movie's actually about. So it flashes back to what happened, and they're on a subway train, and members of a Christian doomsday cult get a call on their pagers and start stabbing everybody. <laughs> it's it's stabtastic. They get stabs in halves. Yeah. And they're stabbing people because they're saving them. And as they stab them, they're just saying, God loves you. God loves you as they're stabbing them to death. Oh, yes. So right away. And I think I think talking about we should talk about the only jump scare that got me. Oh, that was a good one, too. It got you good. Oh, it, oh man, I. <laughs> I was squeaking so, everything out of that one. I was so, and it wasn't even just a squeak. It was a squeak of me saying shit. I was like, shit! <laughs> yeah, and, that jump scare got you. Oh, it was bad. I almost, I almost spilled my alcoholic beverage, but thankfully it had a lid on it because I had it in like a tumbler cup. Um, and I was just watching it and it just got me. And I was like, all right, we're going to play this game today. And I was fine throughout the rest of the movie. The rest of the movie didn't get me in terms of jump scares. But that first one, ooh, I, I, my blood pressure rose. And <laughs> I was in for a ride. I was like, oh, yeah, horror movie. I got this. Because I really don't like horror movies. I don't know if you know this. I know we kind of talked about it a little bit. But to be on the real... I don't like horror movies at all. <laughs> They're not my favorite, but as we go through lists of movies that are classified as horror movies, I've seen them. Right. I've watched a lot for someone who, quote unquote, doesn't like them. Um, but I think as I'm getting older, too, because as a kid, I think I was traumatized far too much by like the two horror movies like I came into contact with at probably way too young of an age. One of them was um, It, wasn't it? It and The Exorcist. Both um, movies I wish we could watch. And that's going to be a hell no from me. Um, do you want to know why? At least for It. I have a very fun story with It. Do you want to hear it? Sure, let's go. Okay. So I was in first grade, and I was spending the night at my friend's house, who will be unnamed. And we were just, you know, hanging out. It was a rainy Midwestern kind of evening and we were watching movies all day as you do and we came across this one vhs tape that that's going to age me a little bit but a vhs tape and it was called it and it was the unrated version so as a first grader you figure oh unrated it can't be bad because we don't know how that stuff works right <laughs> right so we put this movie in and I watch it, and I'm traumatized. I am terrified. I'm shaking. I'm crying. 
I don't even get to finish the movie, right? And then we have to go to bed. So I didn't sleep a wink. I was like, that clown is coming to get me. My hair is going to turn white. Like, a lot of things are going to happen. I'm going to die tonight. The first grader in me was freaking out. So then morning comes. I maybe get an hour of sleep once the sun is up. Because then my mom calls and is like, hey, your aunt is picking you up today. I'm like, all right, that's fine. So my aunt comes and gets me. And I remember this day so vividly, right? So I remember the car ride. I remember that it was raining. I remember that we were listening to 1023 XLC, which is a Chicago area, like radio station. I remember where we parked. I remember everything because we went to the circus that day. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so I remember parking and like not being able to check out the shark tank that they had at the circus because it was raining. So it was overflowing and they didn't want people to get bitten by a shark. Right. Okay. So I remember all this. And I remember walking into the big tent and I blacked out. Oh, God. And the next thing I remember is me screaming my head off, crying and shaking, getting carried back to the car because I saw a clown. Yeah, Tim Curry will do that to you. Yeah. I mean, I, I much prefer him as Dr. Frank, Frankenfurter. Frankenfurter. No, he's the best Russian premier ever in Command and Conquer history. You can judge a man a lot by how the, where they know Tim Curry from. Because my thought, oh, my first thought is Rock and Blue, Scream, yeah, or scream. not Scream, not Scream. Uh, oh, he was a scary movie. Scary movie, yeah, that's the one. Scary movie two. Mr. Tiny Hand, <laughs> let me stir up these mashed potatoes. That wasn't um, Tim Curry. He wasn't, no, he, no, but he was he still in that movie. He wasn't Mr. Tiny Hand, though. I know, but that's just one of the things I remember from the movie. Okay. Spam a lot. He played but a great King Arthur in Spam a lot. Yeah, and he was a really good Captain Hook, too. Yeah. So, he's gotten around. Um, but yeah, so that's why I won't watch it anymore, and I am terrified of clowns. So. Well, luckily, there were no clowns in End of the Line. Thank God, because <laughs> I wouldn't—I I wouldn't have been able to hang. You would have seen a toy. But there, I like. Okay, so I do want to point out that this plot synopsis I found does have a line in here that says, "As a result of the attack, Mike spends a lot of time whining." <laughs> I mean, the dude it's got true. stabbed twice. I don't blame him. He got stabbed twice, left for dead. So yeah, let's talk about our characters. So not only is there Karen, she meets Mike, who pretends to know her to save her from the creepy culty dude that I think was, what was it? I don't I know if his got name. His name. No, you do, and I can't. Hold on. I can't recall it. Neither can I. This synopsis I'm looking at isn't helping me any. This is fine. More editing to do. Yeah. That's okay. 
John? No. Maybe it was Patrick. Patrick. His Patrick. name is Patrick. Okay, so Patrick. Mike. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. So to kind of put a bow on that. <laughs> Mike saves Karen from the creepy cultist Patrick in the subway. He's a great name for her. I'm not gonna say it. Nope. <laughs> I don't I don't want to get banned from the internet and I also so it's definitely not leaving my mouth. But he does come up with a nickname for her. Yes. In that time span. So from her so that happens and then they get on the train. Yay. Which is why it's called end of the line, in case you guys couldn't put those kind pieces of? together. Um, I, should I we? think it's also more of the fact, I don't think we're going to talk about the MacGuffin of the movie yet until the end. Okay, but should we at least maybe say spoilers for people? You know, this movie is 12 years it? old. Fair. And but it's, in case it's any a, of our it, listeners want to watch it. If you want to watch it, uh, this yeah, this is going to be spoiler filled for the rest of the point out if you haven't gotten that already with our reviews. But honestly, guys, it's a 12 year old movie and I don't even know how many of you have actually heard of it. This ranks up there in obscure horror movie territory. Right, because um, I had never heard of it until Corey's like, we're going to watch this. Like, was it a choice? It was just like, something I, that we had to do. Yeah, I didn't really give you a choice. I just said, hey, we're going to talk horror movies, and I remember this movie. Let's watch this. So, yes, I had seen this movie once back about the time it came out. I had a friend who worked at Blockbuster. He was a manager, worked the night shift, brought home movies every night, and we sat down and watched this movie at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning. Proceeding afterwards to be chased around by our roommate who dressed like one of the cultists with a knife in his hand. Yes, I, I want a little bit more detail of that story after we finish talking. Yeah, I can't give you as much it's... more detail without telling you anything else. I'm sorry, brothers and sisters. <laughs> so they're on, they get on the train, and in pure horror movie logic, Karen decides to be in a cart by herself. So it looks like it's the last train of the evening because it's late at night. It's also not very busy, um, but it's also Canada, so who knows? We don't really know what goes on in the Great White North. So she's in a cart by herself, which was one of the first things that pissed me off about this movie. Um, oh, there's a few and, things that really yes. do don't that just follow horror movie tropes way too well in this movie. Right, and of course we're going to get into that. Um, so she's in her own cart, and then the train just stops. And you don't know why at this point. So train stops, power's out, the emergency lights go on, and that's where the plot starts to thicken. And we get introduced to the rest of the characters. In a weird way, yeah. So mm -hmm. it flashes, power goes out, she sees something out the window, screams, and all of a sudden, Mike shows up. Probably because he heard the scream and was in the next part over. 
then I think so that happens and then it flashes over to Asian girl. Julie. That's Julie. Yes, they're very bad about giving you their names, by the way. Yeah, it, it takes a while. They give names the same way I do, which is they don't. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> so it flashes over to Julie and our creepy dude Patrick is forcing himself upon her. Yeah, that that scene is one of the reasons why it really got under my skin. It was very uncomfortable. And you find out why the train stops, because he pushes the emergency stop button. Because she at first said no, and then he forces her to with his knife. His cross knife. You don't know it's a cross knife at the moment. No, he pulls it out and you see the cross. No, oh, so he pulls it it's, out. It's too big to it's too big to hide. Yeah, so he pulls out the cross knife, does talks about, you know, I could never wait till Christmas to unwrap my presents, etc. etc. See, and that's why I don't like Christmas. <laughs> it's because and of that. <laughs> yeah. And then it flashes to the train driver checking it out. So the emergency stop picks up, train driver, you know, goes and checks out, yells at them, misses obvious warning signs that something is wrong. Yes, not like the girl's in hysterics and is, like, pleading with her eyes and shaking. Yeah. And is in, like, in every sign of just being uncomfortable and, like, for the love of God, get me out of here. Yeah, it's obvious, but okay, horror movie, let's go with it. And then... You know, he goes back up front, passes a couple of more cultists who had offered to help him. And then the phones ring. They're not phones. Oh, they're, they're pagers. Page- Sorry, the pagers go off. Yes. Let's 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 make sure we're explaining this movie properly. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. I'm sorry. The pagers go <laughs> off. And the cultists behind the driver, two of them take out their little cross knives. And then tall, bald homeboy pulls out a fucking sword. He is the MVP of this movie in terms of the cultist. My favorite person. (laughs) (laughs) Because to put it into perspective, like, if you could imagine this, right, it's probably eight inches across, maybe a foot long. And that's being, you know, rough guesstimations, right? So they're good. They're more like daggers. Like, if I were to be realistic in terms of blade length, like a dagger. And then this guy, I don't even know where he, like, he pulls it out of, like, a backpack or something, but this is, like, a full-on long sword. Yeah, I don't know where (laughs) he'd been carrying that at, but he had a sword. And it was glorious to see everyone just pull out these little knives from their backs, or from their bags, and then he's like, nah, bitch, I got a sword, and I'm like, my dude. So you get that. (laughs) happens and they Merton you know that you see them kill the train driver and we actually skipped over a part where it over over a couple because we forgot to talk about the best couple of them all oh are we talking rat-faced McGee and not Ted Mosby yeah actually (laughs) we're talking not Ted Mosby whose name was John uh was that John or was that Neil? It was, wait, I think it was that Neil? That was John. No, that was 
John. Oh yeah, it is John. John and Sarah. Sarah. Who So you can tell they took a lot of time naming the characters for this movie. Because so far we have Karen, Mike, John, Sarah, Julie, and Patrick. And we'll soon have a Neil. By the way, the guy who plays Neil's name is Neil. So you never had to worry about his acting skills because he was ready to respond. We'll, we'll talk about some acting skills skills about all that in a minute. But so John oh, yes. and Sarah, when you first see them when the power goes out, are getting it on hot and heavy in a train car. And then they yep. decide to get out of the train car when the lights come back on. And then as they're trying to get back on, she gets a page and ignores it. Yes, so we and know then, that she is then a member of whatever this whole pager thing has has led to. And then Patrick flashes back over to Patrick and Julie. He gets a page and looks at her and says it's Christmas. And then she maces him and runs. She doesn't mace him, actually. It was a can of hairspray. Oh, was it? I mean, essentially, it, it had the same effect. I mean, it did, but... I like. And the I give phrasing her props is because... mason because you're still in the act of spraying it in their face like you would with mace. I mean, I guess, but I just I want to be clear that you know she at least was smart enough. I give Julie props because she was actually a character in this, and we'll get into reasons why, of course. But for he's like, don't move, and then like, she's like, oh, I've got. Right. And then like oh. takes the opportunity to spray him in the face with the hairspray in order to get away. So yeah. So she does get away. And then you see Sarah and John go in front of the train and see the conductor get murdered. And as they start running away, the rest of the cast is magically behind them. I'm glancing over something though. Something important that happens on the train. There's three cultists that... in a room in one of the cars. They get the calls and walk over. And, you know, the people, right when it first starts, people are like, oh, no, thank you. I'm not interested. And they just smile at them and stab them. And one of them really has second thoughts. So the other two come back, start talking to him, and one of them starts having a seizure. Yeah, just full on. And, like, the seizure, not at all conv convincing. Like, if you can imagine going fishing and, like, throwing on a boat that's about the same level of seizing that this guy did however instead of worrying or something else they're like oh no the demons have him and stab him in the one guy stabs him in the heart he stabs him like three times so in the heart I think slightly less in the heart and then once in the stomach yeah and he's dead so and then he's dead so then he turns to the guy that has second thoughts and is like we need you to be strong now. I saved him from the demons. And like the entire time, there's a smile plastered on this guy's face, which was also yeah. unsettling. Is like, that guy smiling. sold it very well. He was probably like him. And then one of the other actors um, for Davis, who we'll talk about in a minute. Oh, yeah. He did real well, too. Right. Like they were acting MVPs in this B-roll horror film. <laughs> So he had the smile plastered on his face. His his Jufro was in full swing. And he's looking, he's like, we need you to be strong. We saved him from the demon. We saved his soul. 
And then you have old crazy woman in the car with Mike and Karen that stabs Mike in the back. Yes. So it flashes back to that. She's unsettling too. She was also one of those ones where I'm like, I don't like this. And like my anxiety was a little bit higher anytime she like, how is she gonna take me out this time? Because she hasn't failed yet. <laughs> Something so, about old women. So yeah, they escape from the train, make it to one of the rooms. Oh, from the we, we did we did gloss over John though. Or not not well, John. To be fair, Neil didn't have much happen. Yeah. All he did was walk into a room, a bunch of cultures saw him turned. He grabbed an axe and jumped off the train. But he had the forethought to grab the axe, which is one of the things I commended yes. this movie for. Yes, he did have the forethought to grab the axe, but we'll get back to him in a minute. Or okay. a lot. We'll really get back to him in the other only other thing that he was relevant in in this entire movie. Okay. <laughs> other than being was, muscle. Other than being muscle due to grabs an axe, there was only one other part that he was really re- relevant in this movie. In fact, I really don't feel any of these characters were relevant. Well, no. But let's move on. So they go to the (laughs) locker room, essentially, of the Switch place and meet Davis and Frankie. Yes. So Davis was... Davis well-acted. Also the only black guy. Yeah. Just to, like, you know, put that out there. But on the plus side... He didn't die first. No. And the big key here with these two at this point is this is where the characters eventually do leave from this spot. They go and flip on TVs and radios and discover the cultists have jammed all of communications. Quite literally looks like there is jam on the screen. I mean, I think it was supposed to be blood, but yeah, it was it's supposed like someone to took be strawberry blood, but jam. It, they jammed communications. Ha 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 ha. Ha. I know. It's great. <laughs> I know. It's the best one I've ever gotten. <sighs> so <Fired. laughs> so they go from there and they go on their way to more adventures. So they're trying to get out of the they're trying to get out of the subway basically. So they have like they're in a room, like a locker room for all the maintenance workers of the subway line and everything, and they need to make it to the next like maintenance room. Because that has an escape hatch to get to the surface. So that's the mission. Cue Mission Impossible theme, but not really because I don't want to get copyright struck. But you guys get the idea. So I actually pulled up a line of quotes that might be relevant at points. Um, However, so they meet them, they go off to get out, right? And where do you want to pick up next? Which part of this? Because there's a bit that happens right in these moments. So I think we should talk about them actually leaving and how and Julie had. No, I want to talk about how Julie had to have her in every shot. Oh, and yeah. So Julie's tits were in every shot. Like right yes, when they and... leave, every shot it is she pushes her chest up to make sure they're in. And I think one of my, to be honest, I think one of my favorite parts of this movie was when they took five steps away from leaving the control room. And she's like, this place is a maze. Oh, 
Yes. My favorite line in the whole movie. Five so, steps. You can still see the ladder or the okay. stairs from that other room. And she's like, this place is a maze. They haven't even turned yet. Like, nope, it's a maze. So they get out of the maze <laughs> into the tunnel. And two kids appear. One runs off and the other runs at them. And John swings a blunt, swings the pointy end of a crowbar at the kid's head and kills him. Yes, this movie went there. Killed a kid. And you know what the worst part is? This isn't one. even as far as it goes. No, it's not the only kid death, but no. we'll get there. Yeah. So, so they have a moment where they're screaming at each other about him killing the kid, trying not to kill kids from now on. Here they go. Like, no more kid killing. We're not Scott Cawthon. They start going off down tunnels. Um, the other kid runs up. And like they see him from the back, and he stabbed. Who did he stab when he ran out of the he, tunnel? Because that kid, like, she John. saw him, and they all stopped. And they're all like, oh, no, there's nothing there. Yeah, you got me. And then they go, and yeah, the kid jumps out and stabs John in his lower back, which prompts them to find shelter again. Meanwhile, so, you have me. Frankie and <laughs> Frankie and Davis. Um, just chilling in, out. right? And I, I appreciate how this movie tried to establish that they've been friends and coworkers for a really long time, all because of the stuff that comes out of Davis's mouth. Of like, you know, I know you love your wife. Like, don't you need to go find your wife? Like, you know, and like being really concerned for his friend. But it was, it was almost too much. Right, and then the beeper in the locker yes as he was talking about getting frankie a sandwich he's like oh like frankie's like i haven't eaten can you give me a sandwich on anything but these rye muffins yes and the muffins are important we'll talk about why talk about the muffins why later so he hears the beeper and immediately turns to frankie and is like, why is there a beeper in your locker? And then Frankie gets like super defensive and is like, no, like, like I've been a part of this ever since like his wife, you know, ever since he married his wife. Yeah. So he, and he kicks her. So he, Davis locks him out of the room. Yes. And, and... while he's out there, he sees he, some shit. He does. He sees these weird demon, almost alien looking. It's a, it's, it's a really weird way to, it, they're really weird because they have. Like, We're going to call it, they're, they're fleshlight eyed demons. There we go. That's a good way to put it. Their eyes look like flashlights and they're supposed to be demons. Right. Because they still definitely have horns. And they're very like skinny. Like, they're basically, like, people in morph suits were a thing. So, he sees that, bangs on the door, and Davis agrees to let him in. Flash over, while this, I'm going to assume that this is all happening same time. So, before we get to what connects the two pieces, we're going to flash over our main group, our party, if you will. Because <laughs> I was definitely making D&D jokes. Gets to the next safe room and finds the control Patrick. room. Well, finds Patrick about to cut apart another Hope member and people, and they end up tying him up. 
Julie gets in a her really revenge bad and, way. Yeah, they tie Let's, it up horribly, and then she gets a but she does beat the crap out of him for a minute. Yes, thank God for Julie. So they basically duct taped Patrick's like upper arms four times. That's it. Like, not even to the point where like it wasn't even like at the elbows, which is where they're gonna bind a body. That's where you do it, because that's where the fulcrum is, is the torso. Just fun fact of the day for all of you guys. If you ever need to bind a body, it should be at the elbows. Yeah. <laughs> not at the, not not at the, at the shoulders. shoulders. So they so, tie him up to try to get answers from him. John's over there bleeding out. Yes, and, and he's then... like chilling on a table, because if he were to move too much, he'd die. And then the preacher man comes on the TV. Yes. His name, I think, is Ron? I think. I don't know. Ron the preacher. But, but he basically he... looks like a Texas car salesman without the cowboy hat. To give you a premise. Yeah. And so he's up there preaching about how these how his children is saving all these people and buying used cars down at Fred Tuesday Toyota. <laughs> Save their souls with the low, low price of $300 down with 0% APR for the next 24 months. You heard me right. Good credit, bad credit, no credit, doesn't matter. We'll get you in that Toyota. Well, we can help you mow down them non-believers. That hum too. <laughs> so he makes his speech. Davis forgets to lock the door behind letting Frankie in, and in come the cultists. And, dun, dun, dun. and of course, the older woman is oh, a part crazy. of the cultists. So, I think her name's Betty. It, it is. And this part of the movie is where things get a little uncomfortable. You can get really uncomfortable. Yes. Um, so they kill Davis. One sword shot to the back of the neck that severs everything except for his head off of his body. But he's dead. And then Frankie's wife shows up and they try to talk him into killing her. He can't. So she stabs him. <sighs> and then the cultist stab his wife. His pregnant wife. In the stomach. Where the baby is. And, like, before we get into how creepy this is, I will say the pregnancy looked so bad. Her stomach it sat really did. so low. Like, I swear, they started the pregnancy, like, belly, like, attachment at her belly button. Yeah, it, it was, was low. It was so low. It didn't look right. Just, you know, come on, Canada, be better. It's all right. You don't <laughs> see it long. No, you don't. Because then next thing you know, Frankie is on the Not entirely dead yet, but dying. Yeah. And then, his, <laughs> and then they stack his wife, Brenda, right next to him. And then you, you get a shot at Brenda and you see her stomach all a and then they just like kind of toss the unborn baby on top of the moving umbilical cord still attached. And moving. It's moving. 
<gasps> and it holds there for a minute. And then, you take it all in. and then a cultist comes up and stabs Frankie in the heart a few times, and then the scene cuts. And that is where the movie crossed. That's where the movie went. We just pulled our last punch because that is probably the most shocking thing that happened in the movie, and it's not even the end. Right. And I um, just I will statement. say that baby looked like a like it was like a like a jello mold. Like yes, if you were but like, it, like a jello mold, but like it, just it like got the, the, the tone it got the tone it needed <laughs> to set across quite a bit. Right. It was I had like my holy shit moment at that time. Yeah, that, that that's where it makes you go, okay. Because it's a I wasn't wasn't ready for it like i i felt it was gonna happen like at least like her dying and like the baby dying as well but i wasn't ready for them to like plop the baby next to him that's where i was like oh fuck yeah and that was uncomfortable for the rest of the movie so then it flashes from because of patrick but (laughs) so speaking of it flashes back over to them they decide they have to leave john behind because can't be moved Yeah, if he moves too much, he's going to die. That's basically what... Karen, the nurse, says. Yes. So, him and Sarah stay. And so does Patrick. Patrick gets loose. Because he wasn't tied up. Tied down. (laughs) And Sarah's in the bathroom. Because Patrick calls her out for not being clean anymore. And for giving herself to that man. She's in the bathroom trying to clean herself with soap. And after then, after eating some muffins. So she's snacking when, on some muffins. Yeah. And when John calls because he got loose and she goes, she gets attacked by a demon. And then comes out and is instantly on Patrick's side and proceeds to be told to murder John. She holds the the knife over him, can't do it. Patrick grabs her hand and thrusts it through him, killing him. So, rip John. Want to be Ted Mosby. I swear, guys. Like, from a side profile. It was like, I... We had a good 20-minute conversation during the movie about if that was Ted Mosby or not. Yeah. What's his name? Is it... I know it's Rainer. I think that's his last name. I don't know. Either way. So then Patrick figures, well, and then goes to cleanse Sarah of her sins by trying to commit one himself. Yeah. And then the cultists broke it, rush in. And I'm sorry, but that is probably the best light of the whole movie is what Patrick says in that moment. Because it's just (laughs) one of those where it's just Offhanded, doesn't anyone ever knock? <laughs> yeah. Like, he's only been trying to rape women this still has He's still oh, having darn. a problem. Oh, darn. You know, doesn't anybody ever knock? And <laughs> he betrays her. He tells them, you know, she's to save, basically to save his, his own skin. He goes, she, she broke her vow of chastity with the outsider. Said that she was bewitching him. The powers of the devil are strong in her. And They're strong in her loins. <laughs> and he then kills Sarah. 
is asked if he's pure, says he's pure as snow, reminded that she out that old creepy lady outranks him, and they go off to do their thing. Yes, so it's good to know there's a hierarchy in this, you know, and Meanwhile, it's not just everyone being all with. Yeah. Meanwhile, the rest of the party, they end up kind of splitting off at this point. Like, Mike gets stabbed in the leg again. By the kid. By kid. Yeah, little other little kid shows up. Mike gets stabbed in the leg. They... Sure. They split paths. And Neil gets his second moment of relevancy in the movie. Right. So as you can see, it's kind of escalated very quickly after, after yeah, all like this. From baby to end is like 20 minutes. If to give that. you guys an idea. <laughs> so he rushes up the escalators, gets to the top, and sees everything that they saw on the TV was actually happening outside. Yeah, the, the riots, the things on fire, the people dying, all of that stuff. And it's important to note that, too, because Mike had, like, said while they were in the control room that he doesn't believe that any of this is truly real, you know? Yeah. And they kind of they kind of set him up as being an atheist in the yeah, movie so... because he was found reading a Carl Sagan book while waiting for the train to begin with. Yes. And, and... he is not of any type of religion. <laughs> The best line in the whole movie, aside from Patrick's, is a line from Mike that happens when, you know, when, and it's the one that you asked me what he said at the end at. So mm -hmm. Mike says to Karen at a point in the movie, you know, next time you see a ghost or a demon or the boogeyman, you can look them straight in the eye and marvel at its very existence because you're seeing proof of an afterlife or proof that you're hallucinating and should see a doctor. I'm going to leave yeah. you with that, because that, that line right there is something we're going to end up circling back to. Yes, because I have thoughts. And had so, we both heard that whole line last night, it actually would have made a lot more sense. I think so. However, so <laughs> Mike gets left for dead. The kid... Off. Okay, so here's, here's the thing. The kid, like, Mike gets left for dead. And he ends up game. having to play dead. And the cultists are stabbing, and then they tell him to leave him and run off. Neil, Neil finds out everything's real and gets stabbed in the lower back by crazy old lady. Yes, who then is instantly having the entire bottom half of her face cut. Which I still don't... Like, I, it doesn't make sense because it's not a splatter pattern. It's like she just, like... Like, as she was stabbing him in the lower back, like, rubbed her lower face just all over it, and then starts singing. Yeah. Then Julie um, is outrunning mm -hmm. cult members, ends up on the train cornered. And this and, is... And then and Karen's running and ends up hiding from Patrick in a boiler room. So those are, right there, three things that are set up. So let's start with Julie. Okay. Cultists are coming up to her. And all of a sudden, as they're close, they get another page. Look at her. And they say they're sorry. They really are. And then they feed each other cyanide pills. But 
while this is happening, the one of the cultists that had shown remorse. The, the one beginning. that had shown remorse at the beginning was having second thoughts about killing himself. Right. He said he wasn't ready. He didn't want to die. He didn't want to do this. And this is after he was basically peer pressured into stabbing the pregnant woman. Yeah. It's the only person the who only... saw him stab. Yes. And we won't even say he delivered like a killing blow because he really didn't. Yeah, he was the last one to stab her. Yeah. But he didn't really stab her in. In my opinion, like where he stabbed her wasn't necessarily a lethal place. The other people that had stabbed her really did the damage. But he yeah. still like participated. He participated in it. So they so then they, he's like, they no, all we die. Can't do it. And they all but die. They end up feeding up, they end up eating, ends up taking it away and they die. Right. And we I but also then, want to make sure like they feed the pills to each other. Yes. Because suicide is a sin. Suicide so, is a sin. So they feed the pills to each other. So that way they're basically just killing another person. Consensual. And then it flashes over to Sarah and, or to, uh, I'm sorry, Karen and Patrick, who, Patrick gets the ding and says, it's almost here. You know, the end of the world. Is everyone right? Is everyone wrong? Like, questioning it. Being curious. It's, that... Like, I hated that he got the most impactful monologue of the entire he really he, did and it's like he was the biggest creep i hated i even hated looking at his face because he had like that like pedo smile where like his like he, he had absolutely no upper lip and it just like it, ooh, i just i can't one I can't, of the best I I, honestly one of the best <laughs> acted roles in the movie yeah he sold it because he will forever be a creeper pedophile rapist type deal to me because it's just no none of it's and then he but, gets this super deep, meaningful philosophy monologue after he gets the page, where he is also dealing with like an existential crisis all at the same yeah. time. It was beautifully done, but I hated that he was the one that got it. He cuts himself <laughs> to bring himself back to focus. And you see a lot of scars on his torso as well. So, first time he had dealt with. And then old crazy lady Betty runs in about the page and to get her to feed the pills and. He stabs her, kills her. Well, thinks he kills her, but she's, you know, out of the way. And then he's going to, again, attempt to rape Karen. Who then decides time, to use her mental illness communication skills to try to de-escalate the situation. Which didn't, which worked, kind of. And then he's dead. <laughs> Yes, she was able to commandeer the dagger and basically stab him in the back of the head through the mouth. Yeah, and he says thank you as he dies. Right. So that leaves old Betty. Right. begging Karen to kill her. Karen refused. So she begs for forgiveness and takes the cyanide pill herself. Committing a sin. So we're going to flash over from here to Mike, who's hobbling through the tunnels and runs into the kid again, who stabbed him in the leg, who is now mad at him and going to kill him because they all left him behind and it's his fault. And then the kid sees something and runs, where Mike turns around and just smiles at it. 
it flashes to Julie in the train. The lights go out and she just keeps screaming. You see nothing. It goes to Karen, who is hearing whispers in weird voices in her name. As a bunch of demons show up around the corners, crawling on the ceiling, crawling out one of pops bodies. Out. Yeah, one pops out of Betty's chest like it was nothing. Like a, like a chest burster. It was just like, boop, I'm out now. Surround her, saying her name, saying her name, saying her name. And she looks up at them and smiles. And that's the end and of the that's movie. that's how it ends. <sighs> I want to circle back to that quote. Because we were talking about her smiling and what it could mean. I think we have our answer. I think it, it, it legitimately happened? It's either that or proof that she was hallucinating and needed to see a doctor. Because it picks up at her at the beginning. Kind of on a train. In a doctor's office. You know. Right. So there's some things I kind of want to touch on before I, I give my, my final thoughts on the movie. Okay. And one of them is the muffins, right? The rye muffins, specifically. Okay. And it took me longer, I think, to figure out the importance of the muffins, I care to admit. But I also, it didn't take me the entire movie. It took right. me... It took me to this it, until the scene with um, Sarah and John to figure out the significance of the muffins. Because basically, the muffins induce hallucinations of these demons, right? Right. And it's a trend that has happened from the beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. And the most clear. Like, scene of that at the beginning of the movie is when Karen hallucinates on the train because it is right. set up that she ate the muffin. Yes, they show her because basically the cult leader Ron was like had like a huge like sign, like big poster and like a donation jar and it's like, right. And you see her like putting some money in for the donation and taking two of the muffins to go. And then she's eating them, and then on the train, she hallucinates one of her patient's bodies on the train tracks. And then she also hallucinates, like, the demons taking her. But well, at the beginning of the movie... Right, at the beginning of the movie, you do see her patient commit suicide. Right. And this is also... We see that after the very beginning of the movie where she's in... Not like the very beginning, but almost the very beginning where she's on and she hallucinates the demons taking her mm -hmm. or like abducting her. And then it cuts to her in the shower crying with scars on her shoulder. Yep. And then the movie itself takes place showing you basically how she got that scar, which was from Patrick. Right. So but... that. So those muffins are the way the cult leaders really. Keeping control of these people because a lot of the people say like, and um, Frankie's wife is like the perfect example of this, right? Because this is obviously a food that like everyone in the eat. 
and it's mm-hmm. like one of the only things I can eat. And she says, I hear the demons are calling me. You need to save my. Well, so it kind of sets up a lot earlier that the muffins are a catalyst, even so after Karen eats them on the train, if he didn't make the connection, there's another spot where it does make a clear connection to the muffins. Um, and you'll, you have to actually pay attention to catch it, but it's a clear reference to what the muffins do throughout the movie again. Um, when Frankie mentions that all he had eaten were, was rye muffins to Davis. And then he's out in the hallway a couple, maybe a scene or two later and he sees demons. Right. So they do reference throughout that the muffins are causing it. And Mike is the catalyst of the everyman, essentially, to be like, nah, this is bullshit. Right. He he sees through the bullshit and like he wants to like have this meaning and all this other stuff. But he needs proof of it. He's one of those like, put it in my hands, prove it to me, and then I'll believe you kind of guys. So and that's what makes me, to kind of round out my thoughts, that's why I believe this nation, because the kid runs away being scared as a dog with the scene with Mike, and he turns, and he doesn't see anything. But it doesn't show you. And, see, and here's the thing, it doesn't show you that. But right. based on his statements, it's either that you're seeing proof of an afterlife or that you need to see a doctor. To him, it's you need to see a doctor. To Karen, it's proof that there's an afterlife because she's seeing those demons right because she's so had for, the muffin and it has the uh, the explanation of julie being in a pitch black room and seeing nothing is the audience because we're in the dark as to which and which person saw what and truly happened while we know the muffins are the catalyst i, I guess because you see at the beginning of the movie karen on the train having PTSD moment where she gets a flash of the demons looking at the pictures. And to her, all that was real and proof, perhaps that, like Mike said, proof that there's an afterlife or whatever. But to her, I guess See, that was proof. She didn't have those PTSD flashbacks after she had had part of the horse muffin while she was in. But on the train me. at the beginning of the movie, not even when it flashed to her before the girl committed suicide. The opening of the movie before she was in the shower, she's sitting there on the train in daylight and has the picture. And she puts the picture down and all these demons appear in front of her. And then it flashes to her in the shower where you see the scar. Okay. All of that happens after what the main movie is. That's the after part. Right. So to Karen, everything that happened was real. Is what that's trying to show you. Yeah, that was her reality. Think, because that's her reality. But for Mike, who doesn't believe these things and didn't eat, didn't drink the Kool-Aid, that kid needs to see a doctor. And I think that's a brilliant way to kind of show the movie is show each character has their own interpretation of the ending. Right. Because like Julie's ending, it's like, you don't know what happened. She's just you screaming know, in the dark. She can't see anything. You know, and that's probably more terrifying because the, like, it's one thing to, like, see what is about to happen to you or see absolutely nothing. But that unknown, the unknown is the scariest part of anything. 
And I know that's why a lot of people also have a hard time grasping the concept of death is because it's unknown. You can't speak to dead people and exactly. know what happens. So the unknown is far more terrifying than you're going to go. That's why they call the afterlife or belief in the afterlife faith. Because you have to have faith that it actually is there because you have no idea. Exactly. So, and I think that's why Julie's ending, I think, was impactful for me because like, oh, no. But she's screaming and she's terrified. Yeah. Because we don't know. So I guess to finish this off, what's your final thoughts, Nancy? What'd you think? I loved this movie. <laughs> like, the concepts were really dark, which I appreciate. You know, dealing with religious cults, because I myself am religious. Um, and cults are very fascinating to me. Not because of like what they do, but it's just like how they do it and how they accumulate people, right? Because it's a certain mindset of people you have to like amalgamate. I could talk about all day. Um, so the fact that it delved into that, like already kind of hooked me. Where it's like, oh, religious cult, those are fun to learn about. I if you have time, I recommend just diving into that like rabbit hole because it's so much fun. But then you still got true classic horror elements like the makeup for this movie, not necessarily for the blue demons that we see, the blue-gray demons, but for the other hallucinations that we see were amazing. Mm -hmm. It, like, got my creepy pasta artist brain going because, like, the way that they looked was so good. So I appreciated that. It had all the horror movie cliches. The acting was awful. But I was still generally unsettled by it. And all in all, it was a great experience. So I would probably give this an 8 out of 10. Okay. Rating. Um, just because I still, like, there were still some pitfalls with it. You know, but in terms of a B-list horror movie, 8 out of 10. I, it was a fun ride, and I'm still not 100% okay which I think is a testament to this movie. Yeah. So, so what about this, you? This movie for me um, has memories associated to it from when I lived with friends of mine. Um, as I had mentioned, James appeared at the end of our roommate's bed, looked him in the eyes with a knife in his hand, dressed like one of the cultists, and said, I've gotten the call, brother. I'm going to save you. Which then proceeded to grow like shrieks from our roommate and all of us freaked out for the rest of the evening because that's what our that's that's what he did to us that's just what we did um i love this story it's so funny this it's a good movie it's entertaining um a lot of plot holes bad acting bad camera angles overdone blood overdone zealous but like the boobs and like the shots were pretty solid it's a solid B movie. It's a solid B horror movie for sure. Um, I give this one a taco out of a burrito. So a little tough to get through, but at the end of the day, it's still satisfying. Exactly. Yay! See, look, guys, I got his ratings down. Put on the <laughs> so. And I guess that concludes end of the line. Join us next week as we talk about one of my absolute favorite horror films. If you want to call that. 
I I will, but ironically. Yeah, we're gonna talk a little bit about Ash Williams. We are because we're gonna get depth thoughts on 1987's The Evil Dead Two. So you can say we've reached the end of the line for this spoopy movie review. Also, if y'all want to hear us talk about Army of Darkness, spam the Twitter with the hashtags of Army of Darkness. Yes, give us all the Twitter love, because right now, um, I'm, I'm leaning towards some other movies. So if you want to change that, I need some, Corey's going to need some Twitter support in order to sway me. Yeah, don't worry. We'll get Army of Darkness in before the end of the spoop season. Promise, one way or another, it will happen. And you will thank me for letting that happen. Okay, we'll, we'll find out. As you heard in there, next week we're going to be talking about Evil Dead Part 2. Um, and like I mentioned earlier in the show, unfortunately some scheduling conflicts prevented us from being able to talk about Episode 3 of Stranger Things Season 3 this week. So instead, I was able to reach out and get friend of the show, Mr. Pop Culture Junkie, to come on and discuss the WWE Hell in a Cell event, the way it ended, and as well as some of the other matches. But don't worry, Stranger Things fans. Next week, we're going to review episode 3 and 4. That's right, you'll get double the strange for the cost of one listen. But without further ado, I'm going to kick it over to myself and Mr. PC and Jay, and we're going to talk a little bit about Hell in a Cell. with a bit of a special segment due to scheduling concerns miss nancy was unable to join us this week for our normal chat that would fill this time with stranger things so instead i decided to reach out to friend of the show and all-around great guy the one and only pop culture junkie and hey gonna... thank you so much for that that was a nice intro hey we're glad to have you here especially since we had a wwe pay-per-view event happen That's the right. day before we're sitting here talking and there's a lot of controversy surrounding this event. And I thought we'd talk a little bit about it, especially since I really haven't had an opportunity to watch it yet. So I kind of want to see from your eyes what you think of what's going on here. Well, it was a definitely uh, a very interesting show. And uh, if the point of the if the whole point of the show was Vince McMahon wanted to get the entire internet wrestling community talking it worked because they're talking i mean they're not saying anything good about their company and their decisions but they're talking <laughs> yeah i've seen the backlash on actually the show twitter and personal twitter accounts from this one and we're gonna get to that because that was the main event that caused the most backlash the first thing i want to get to is a question i have for you how do you feel about wwe not really announcing the lineup for this event until like hours before it I think it shows that they uh, were totally focused on SmackDown going to Fox. They just had their debut show on Fox. It used to be on USA. Now it's on Fox. And I think they were completely focused on that. And if you saw on Twitter, half hour before the kickoff show on Sunday, they posted a tweet with like six matches saying, hey, breaking news. Tune into Hell in a Cell tonight. You'll see these six matches. 
in addition to whatever you know they already did advertise, which they only advertised three matches, and it was ridiculous. Um, but really, it shows how. Oh, I mean, they have opportunities with how many creative people, how many people that they have writing this stuff and producing it, and this is what we get is three matches. That's fine. You know what? Promote the hell out of the three matches you you announce, but then how about just push and focus that at the show? If you want to throw on a couple of matches as a surprise, great, but uh, what they gave us really was just rematches that we've seen on many weeks of Raw and SmackDown, and it just felt like a house show, really. Gotcha. Yeah. So, yes, really. Do you think with the launch of the new wrestling bill on TNT, the AEW, that maybe that had anything to do with their focus being more on a SmackDown launch than this pay per view event? I'm sure it did because WWE, they uh, they'll never say it, or maybe they won't say it for a while, uh, but. As of now, the few times that, uh, like, uh, uh, don't quote me because I can't remember exactly if it was Triple H or Shane or Vince, I'm not sure, but I have seen uh, little uh, clips in uh, interviews where they're being asked, do you consider, you know, AEW competition? And they're like, oh, no, 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 we're, you know, we're our own, you know, thing. We don't worry about that. And the way I look at it is, okay. People keep trying to say, like, oh, the Monday Night Wars have come back, and now it's the Wednesday Night War because NXT airs on Wednesday night, the same night as AEW Dynamite. And I kind of brought this up on my recap of the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view going, look, the Monday Night War wasn't the Monday Night War when it was going on. (laughs) That was given that moniker later on after WCW went out of business, and they looked back on it as, oh, they were at war for ratings. But during the late 90s into the early 2000s, when you had Monday Night Nitro and Raw, or Monday Night Raw, uh, going head-to-head, it was just about, okay, who can put on the best show, and uh, who's going to surprise, uh, make a surprise entrance at, you know, the show this week versus next week, who's going to jump ship to the other show, uh, and it was just focused on that and really i mean i say it again who who really won the quote monday night war it was the fans because we were given amazing shows uh the creative team and the bookers whatever you want to call them they were doing everything they could to put on the best show for the fans to you know get the most ratings but hey we won the the fans were the winners here because we got great shows and great matches and storylines and you know everything else that came with it gotcha so yeah. I mean, there's. So hopefully AEW maybe it'll light a fire under WWE and they'll. That's what I really. I mean, that's what I was hoping the whole time. Whenever we first heard about AEW coming around, because you you go back in time, you know when when WCW went out of business and they were purchased by WWE. Uh, ECW was also at the same time out of business and WWE bought that. And, I mean, WWE has bought all their competition in the past, you know, they've purchased other uh, territories. That's how Vince came into power in the, you know, the eighties where he took over everything. And then every so often you'd have a different uh, wrestling company show up and they'd offer something different because you want to be different. You don't want to put out the same stuff as what other companies are doing. Cause nobody's going to watch your stuff. If, you, if they can see the same stuff where they're already watching, but go back to 2002, we had TNA start up. Uh, you know, total nonstop action and uh, 
they're now called just Impact, but uh, yeah, they they've, never been, they've never been able to really build a following, even though they've been they they've been very fortunate at times where they had guys like Jeff Hardy, Sting, Hulk Hogan, I mean, big time names and legends that they could have easily taken advantage of and uh, you know been a possible contender, but. Again, WWE is its own thing, of course. I mean, it's right. a multi-billion dollar company that's never going to go out of business, really. But, yeah, AEW offers you something else to watch if you're not happy with the product. And as we see, a lot of people are not happy with what WWE's been putting on for uh, the longest now. Right. And, and AEW seen... is like an answer to those people that left the wrestling. Uh, you know, there, there's so many fans I know that were into the Attitude Era, and then once the Attitude Era died off by 2002 or so, uh, they're like, okay, I'm done. Wrestling's gone back to its, you know, wacky character, you know, cartoony stuff, and it lost its edge, which we really had a more edgier product during the, the Monday Night War era. So maybe we'll get yeah. that because the only reason they did go into that type of wrestling content was uh, Vince McMahon was, you know, pushed up against the wall, uh, back against the wall, he had to put on something else different to be able to over, you know, to beat WCW in the ratings and such. And that's why we got Stone Cold and Degeneration X and Sable and all the other stuff. I gotcha. So I guess with that, let's let's talk a little bit about Hell in a Cell here. So we mentioned the lineup that was that was announced way early. So the bill ended up being, and this is going to go from title from the from the top billing down and we're going to start with we're going to start when we finish this list here so the first one that on this list you had the universal championship of seth rollins versus the fiend bray wyatt that was a hell in a proper hell in a cell match mm-hmm. you had becky lynch versus sasha banks in an actual hell in a cell match um you had this women's smackdown championship bailey versus charlotte flair you had roman reigns and daryl and daniel bryan versus eric rowan and luke harper in a tornado match which i'll need explanation on when we talk about that <laughs> um then you had the women's tag championship alexa bliss and nikki cross against the kabuki warriors you had king corbin and chad gable viking raiders and mystery partner versus the oc and then natalia versus lacey evans on the kickoff show so an apparent am i missing a match uh there was uh, randy orton versus ali Okay. This says it was Nakamura versus Ali. So I guess this no, it, Nakamura changed. wasn't what Nakamura, the current Intercontinental Champion, was not on the show. Okay. Um, yeah. Maybe this was one they wanted to see. <laughs> so I guess so this starts off, it doesn't even I don't even know if the lead match was talked about here, but let's go ahead and start with the first match, the kickoff match, Natalia versus Lacey Evans. So apparently this is an ongoing feud. I guess uh, uh, it's kind of strange. It seems like you have uh, wrestler A, wrestler B in a in a f- match on Raw, and then all of a sudden wrestler C comes in and interrupts and does something, and then wrestler A and C are now fighting, and B is forgotten. It's kind of like they they keep they keep forgetting who they have feuds going on with because uh, when Sasha Banks made her return, she attacked. Natalia. So you would think Natalia and Sasha would have a feud, but no, we've but, gone on to Lacey Evans and Natalia for some reason instead, and we never really saw a feud between Natalia for getting jumped by Sasha. Weird. But 
Yeah, they've been doing this uh, for the last few weeks on Raw, where Lacey Evans, the the sassy Southern Belle, she uh, she's taunting Natalia, saying she's not a lady, and uh, she's it's it's almost embarrassing to talk about because the the finishing maneuver that uh, Natalia does is called the Sharpshooter. It's a leg submission. It's made famous by Bret Hart, her uncle. And Lacey Evans, the last few weeks, would attack Natalia and uh, put her in the hold. And I think twice when she put her in the hold in two weeks in a row, she fell over trying to <laughs> execute the move to Natalia, which was embarrassing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was just another matchup for them to have. And uh, it was okay, though. It was an okay match. I didn't think it was terrible. It was a, it was a kickoff. And the kickoff is meant to just hype the audience, get them pumped for the rest of the night. But I thought it was an okay match. Okay. So it did it do its job though of kind of warming the crowd up for him? Yeah, it did. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. it looks like Natalia won the match, correct? She won the match. Uh, she got uh, Lacey Evans in the uh, sharpshooter. And it was, I mean, I just didn't like how uh, Natalia gets her in the sharpshooter. She, uh, she, the sharpshooter is applied by. Lacey Evans is on her back. Natalia's standing. She puts one leg in between Lacey's legs. Chris crosses her her legs and then turns around and sits down, holding her legs into a, a leg submission. As soon as she was turning around, she hadn't even really a, applied the move, and it looked like Lacey was already tapping. It just didn't, you know, didn't look right that way. I want to gotcha. see. A, I want to see somebody actually struggle, maybe resist a little bit from tapping. But no, she was just immediately like, "Okay, I'm done. This is it." <laughs> Okay, so uh, let's let's move on here. Next match was the Raw Women's Championship. Yes, this was the uh, Women's Hell in a Cell match. It was the first match on the main show, main card. Uh, it's the only, it's uh, the second only uh, Hell in a Cell match with women involved. Uh, there was one about two years ago with uh, Charlotte versus Sasha, and that one was not good. I do not okay. recommend watching that one. Um, yeah, it was just bad. But uh, this one was amazing. This was a really great match and easily match of the night. They went all out. There was chairs, ladders, kendo sticks. Uh, they did all kinds of crazy spots all around the ring, in and outside of the ring, into the cell walls. It was just, it was really good. All right. So they put on, so it, it was a good match. It was a good championship bout. Yeah, it was a really good match, and I, I thought for a second we were going to see a new champion. I thought Becky was going to drop the title, and uh, Sasha was going to get it because Sasha, her the storyline they had with Sasha is uh, she and Bailey lost the women's tag belts at WrestleMania, and then uh, supposedly in real life after the match they went backstage and started complaining and whining and throwing a fit that they lost the belt so soon because they'd only had them for like a month or so. And uh, Sasha uh, left and was gone from the company for like five months. And people said, you know, speculated like, okay, is she quitting? Is she, you know, getting get fired? What's going on? And she shows up, you know, they come back on uh, Raw a few weeks ago. She made her comeback. But uh, now they're doing a storyline saying that she walked away because she was unhappy with everything. It's like, we know that. That's really what happened in the real life was you were not happy with the storylines and what they did with your character but uh it just kind of comes off a little sloppy to me with you know where they're trying to make a bad real life thing happening 
into a storyline. It just, yeah, it just didn't work for me. I gotcha. No, but the match itself was great and I enjoyed it. I'll have to go back and probably watch this one then. Um, if, if you don't, if, if anyone listening that has, you know, not seen the Hell in a Cell show and you're thinking about watching Hell in a Cell, the, this is the match to see. Okay. Yeah. And we'll keep that in mind. I mean, I'll, I'll end up watching the whole event because I'll be honest, I haven't watched it. Um, I had a lot going on myself this past weekend, but we won't go into that. Let's move on to the next match here. You had Daniel Bryant and Roman Reigns versus Eric Rowan and Luke Harper in a tornado-style tag belt. What's a tornado? Yeah. Other Tornadoes than the thing that, are... com- you know, that comes from the sky, I know what those are, but... The big twisty thing, yeah. Yeah, I know yeah. that. Yeah. But when it comes to wrestling, I don't know. So, uh, I mean, you know what it takes tag team matches correct yes yes okay. i know tag you know two one guys in the ring partners on the side they tag they interfere they they do wrestling things there we go uh tornado tag match means there's no tags it's just all four uh people fighting at once you don't have to tag your partner and uh there's no rules so you can use anything you want weapons chairs tables whatever and the only way to win is to Make your opponent pinned or submit in the middle of the ring, and uh, it could be, again, no tags. So both both uh, tag, you know, one tag team could be double teaming another uh, the the opponent and uh, do whatever they can to beat that one person while the other partner is you know laid out somewhere. So yeah, no rules and any anything goes. So is this a continuation of the Who's Trying to Kill Roman storyline? Yeah, um, like I don't even yeah. have because I'm I'm sitting here wondering what other reason if Roman Reigns is here if he's not having a title match and the only thing is that they haven't I guess resolved that yet or is this the resolution of that? I've kind of lost track. <laughs> I mean, I I know what happened. Gotcha. I know the story they've done, but I the, okay. First of all, tornado tag match. They didn't announce this ahead of time until at the show when Roman was making his entrance. And the mm-hmm. ring announcer says, this is now a tornado tag match. I heard that. I'm like, they didn't announce that on SmackDown or any time before this. But I know why they did that. And that's because you can't, you can't, <laughs> you cannot put Roman Reigns in a regular tag match. You have to put him in something what we call a spot fest match to get some kind of reaction from the fans. Because even though Roman Reigns, uh, okay, he's been booed. And hated by the uh, majority of the fans, not all, but um, but he's the face of the company. By the hard by the hardcore fans, he's not liked because they're the one that, because he's the one being pushed down their throats by Vince. He's Vince's boy, his golden child, <laughs> and you know the fans want to be able to choose who they cheer for nowadays. It's not like back in the day, thirty years ago, Hulk Hogan was you know that's the main guy of the company. But you had other guys still that you know fans liked, but Hogan was the face of the company that Vince wanted. Even Hogan got stale after a while. Then you had, fast forward, you had Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels. Finally, you had Stone Cold, who everybody loved. So, you know, you have all kinds of you know history with that. But when we had John Cena come in in two thousand two, two thousand three, he became Vince's you know new choice, and. Roman Reigns is not John Cena when it comes to being on the mic and having the charisma to turn any fan into, you know, liking you the way John Cena can do. Roman Reigns does not have that talent. 
I remember John Cena when he was coming in and fans didn't like him. Mm -hmm. And he, over the years, won them over with what he, one, did in the ring, but two, the way he handled himself in the public eye on the mic and in and out of wrestling as a person. Right. And, and he now, became the ambassador for the for the sport of wrestling, essentially, because he is an actual oh yeah. trained wrestler as well. Right. And now Roman Reigns was it last year, I think, or year before. I'm losing track of my my stats here. Uh, but Roman Reigns, of course, famously announced uh, about a year ago that uh, he ha was dealing with an actual real battle with cancer, and he had yes. had cancer before. And I don't wish that on anybody. So, you know, this is where people have to separate the person from the character he's portraying. Yes. I don't wish that on, you know, the real life character, you know, real life yeah, person. You Joe, may not like Roman Reigns as a wrestling persona, but as a human being, it's not like you don't like the guy himself. Right, exactly. And uh, when he came back from that, naturally the fans cheered because they're like, oh, look. He survived cancer, so Look, they're cheering he's for that. Yeah, hey, yeah. he's back. He's back to perform, and the fans are happy to see, hey, this guy's okay. He's back. Right, right. Uh, but now, it's been many, many months since then, and if you see his entrance, you're starting to hear those boos again because the fans are going, okay, well, the human being is fine, but you're still doing the same stuff with the character, so we're going to go ahead and start booing him again because... It now you know it's like almost enough time has passed by. It's like that episode of South Park where they're like, "Okay, enough time has passed by. We can make fun of AIDS." You know, speaking South of South Park, did you yeah. hear they got banned in China? Yes, and I saw their. Uh, I think they posted something on their like, Twitter. The, yes, or, their statement yeah. was amazing. That, that was they awesome. welcome the Chinese censors into their hearts. Oh, yep. I love their responses to things, and I mean, are they really going to lose sleep over anything like that? No. no. Yeah, I can't wait for Wednesday night when they make fun of it. Yep. So, Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan win this match. How as a, as a match itself, how how was it? Uh, it, it felt like nothing more than just uh, a match you would see on Raw or SmackDown. It wasn't anything. It was not a pay per view match. Well, you know. and then apparently on SmackDown itself, Roman and Rowan actually did wrestle, and Roman beat him. Uh, believe so. Yes. <sighs> Yeah. So they recycled a match and added two more people to it, essentially, to put it on the pay-per-view. Yeah. Sounds like a WWE yep. thing to do. Mm -hmm. well, and on, also, well, and also at the end of the match, after uh, Roman got the pin, mm -hmm. and then afterwards, Dan Bryan, he reaches out a hand to shake hands like they're going to be buddies now. And Dan Bryan's been a heel this whole time. And mm -hmm. Roman is like, okay, I'll go shake, I'll, I'll shake your hand. But then Brian pulls his hand back and goes, no, 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 no. And then he opens his arms wide and goes, let's hug it out instead. And oh, Roman's God. like, uh, that's not my thing, but okay, fine. So they hug it out in the ring. And so I guess that turns Daniel Bryan face now. Face. <laughs> but that also is another tactic that Vince and WWE does in order to get Roman more cheers possibly is like, oh, look. He's he's getting a rub from Daniel Bryan, and you guys like Daniel Bryan, right? So you'll like Roman now, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Right. They got to do something, I guess, to put him over the top, and maybe part of that is WWE needs to stop pushing him as hard and focus more, maybe, on their current champions. Oh yeah. So, 
we'll move on from this match to your favorite wrestler on WWE's current roster. We're going to talk about the match between Ali and your personal favorite, Randy Orton. Oh, joy. So, how bad was this one? Uh, it, it was uh, just another work, go through the motions match. I didn't really see anything wow or anything about it. Again, this was another last minute thrown on match. And just like the tag match we talked about before is again, just another uh, raw SmackDown quality matchup. The only really cool thing that happened is, and here's the thing. Uh, first, of course, Randy Orton gets uh, an RKO uh, pinfall. He wins. Always. And it's like, why, why, why not? Of course. Why, why let the younger new talent get a win and, you know, go over? No, no, no. Let's, Give it to Randy Orton, who really should be retiring in a, in a year now. So, um, yeah. But so, the only cool part of the matchup that I liked, where I thought, oh, they're going to have Ali get a win here, is uh, Randy Orton goes for the RKO, and the RKO is uh, similar to a diamond cutter. If you know it, who Diamond Dallas Page is, he used to do a diamond cutter in WCW. Yep, I remember that. He put the diamond up when he did it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Randy jumps in the air to do that, and as he's landing on his back, Ali uh, fall, you know, jumps in the air, falling forward uh, like he's going to be hit with the RKO, but instead he lands in a handstand position and then just props himself back up on his feet. So that was a nice little counter or a escape. I hadn't, hadn't seen anybody do it like that yet. And I thought, there you go, that's the perfect way. He, he found a way to get out of the RKO, Orton's going to turn around and then take a finisher from Ali, and then, bam, Ali gets the win. But no, we still get another RKO, and then he, he loses. Gotcha. So yeah. I guess it's move, time to move on. Yes. <laughs> so, to, all right, let's talk about this tag team champions match, because I saw when Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross won the belt, and the Kabuki Warriors were part of that, that, three, uh, that three-man tag match, I guess is the way to put it. Oh, uh, triple threat. There you go. Triple threat. Yes, tag. thank you. There triple you threat. Yeah. So now you kind of get, I guess, a continuation of that where you have two of those participants battling it out for the belt. And this maybe is another match that I might take a look at. I would. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of all four of these women. Uh, they easily, all four could all be, you know, singles champions. They've, uh, uh, Nikki Cross, no, she, Nikki Cross didn't win the NXT title, but Alexa Bliss has won the women's title on both Raw and SmackDown multiple times. Oscar uh, is former SmackDown champ, and she was NXT champ, and Kyrie Sane was a uh, one or two time champ or one time champ in uh, NXT also. But uh, I liked the matchup because I liked the participants. It wasn't their greatest matchup or anything like that, but the uh, ending to the match was uh, very uh, interesting because. It was a nice throwback to Asuka's uh, Japanese wrestling days. Uh, have you ever heard of the Great Muda? I have not. Okay. Uh, did you ever see Taijiri? Does that name ring a bell? Vaguely, yes. Okay. So Great Muda and, Ta and Taijiri uh, have something in common where called the Mist. You ever heard of that as a wrestling move? No. Okay. So uh, what the mist is, is basically at some point during the match, uh, the Great Muda would 
spit a green or red or some kind of color mist spray, just, you know, spit, blow, whatever, into his opponent's face, blinding them, and then, you know, hitting some kind of finisher. Uh, and that was that's called the great the the mist. Um, mm-hmm. Asuka out of nowhere did that to Nikki Cross, and then once she blinded her with the green mist, kicks her in the head, and that's how she gets the pin, and they win the titles. So that was a nice surprise. We have not seen Asuka do that at all since she's been in WWE. So that was a nice surprise there. Wow, and yeah. they won the belt. So. Yeah, and I'm hoping that means they're going to actually push them because they haven't really done anything. They they put them together as a tag team, uh, and then they just like disappeared for a month. Like we didn't see them on SmackDown, or they were on SmackDown, but we didn't see them on the show at all. And mm-hmm. then uh, Paige, who is a, a former wrestler because she's injured, uh, she can't wrestle anymore. Uh, they've been trying to find different things for her to do. She was like the general manager of SmackDown for a while. And now they put her as the manager of the Kabuki Warriors. That's their tag mm-hmm. team, uh, which she was not at the pay-per-view. I don't know why, but she wasn't there, uh, which is strange because it's like they're winning the titles. Don't you want their manager there? But because uh, they put her there, I guess, as you know, a talking piece because both Asuka and Kyrie don't speak fluent English. They speak a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah. But the match itself was OK. I thought it was good. And what they did on Raw tonight was even better i thought uh they had uh oscar and Kyrie Sane come out on the stage while uh, becky lynch and charlotte were in the ring and oscar and Kyrie get on the mic and just start screaming and yelling and cutting promo all in japanese no no english at all and i like oh, wow. that i'd rather them just be like hey i'm just gonna say all this smack in a fluent language that they speak rather than try to stumble with, you know, English. Okay. It sounds more violent and badass to me too. Huh. I'm going to have to look at that. So next match, the Viking Raiders in Braun Strowman versus AJ Styles, Harley Anderson and Luke Gallows. Yes. Uh, another one that was on the, Breaking news, you know, breaking news, last minute thrown on, and uh, they they put it as the the War Raiders or Viking Raiders. Oh god, I'm just I'm, they used to be called the War Raiders. Then when they came to WWE's uh, main roster, they were called uh, the Viking Experience. Okay. And then a week later, they changed them to the Viking Raiders. Oh, and wow. then they changed their finishing maneuver to be called the Viking Experience. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, uh, the reason behind that, if if people listening do not know why, and they're like, why does it matter? Uh, for whatever reason, WWE does not want the word war associated anywhere, you know, because they don't want to have any politic or war stuff or whatever. Uh, even though their show used to be called Monday Night Raw is War. <laughs> I was going to say, wasn't it, didn't it used to be Raw is War? Yes. Huh. But but you know WWE is all about oh we're, we'll we'll let you know what part of our past we want to remember. <laughs> we're trying to be family friendly now. Family. Yeah. Friendly. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you don't see any replays anytime of Chubby Chubby your pee pee. So you know. Yeah, I've noticed. <laughs> I can't really find that anywhere. Um. So how was this 
match? Was there really a reason for this match? No, this was complete filler. I mean, another just complete filler. Uh, when they when they put breaking news on the tweet, they even said uh, the Viking Raiders and a mystery partner. They put a question mark against the OC of, of Styles, Anderson, and Gallows. And that was at least intriguing because you thought, oh, who's going to be the mystery partner? Uh, could it be somebody from NXT, somebody that you know has been injured is coming back did they sign someone new because there's talks of some people that have recently signed with WWE, maybe mm-hmm. and that's how you usually introduce somebody is you know a surprise you want that but now we just get brawn i'm like okay meh and it was okay. really just another uh wasted opportunity uh to push brawn and the announcer or the commentators the entire match they're just talking about what happened on smackdown with uh braun Strowman and the boxer tyson fury gotcha yeah and so, if you ask me who that is i have no clue i never heard of the gotcha. guy before smackdown okay i was gonna ask about that but yeah. i guess we'll leave it um so viking raiders braun Strowman winners by dq oh yeah uh they just ended up jumping uh brawn all at once and then afterwards of course uh brawn gets up and beats them all up he uh the the viking raiders did a suicide dive to anderson and gallows and then aj goes to do a phenomenal forearm where he springboards off the top rope into a you know flying elbow uh but uh Strowman ends up just punching him in midair <laughs> and then he's just holding <laughs> his fist up to the camera and the commentators are like oh Braun just sent a message to Tyson Fury, and I'm like, I'm rolling my eyes watching this going, why would he be sending a message to someone that doesn't even work for the company? What What is this about? Why are wow. we wasting our time with this? Or are they signing Tyson Fury? Is that what it is? Well, after what happened on Raw, it's a given that they're going to have some kind of matchup finally at, you know, at a pay-per-view or something, probably you know down the road. Gotcha. I don't know if they're going to wait till Mania, but it seems more like that's a, a, an attraction, a special attraction that they would do at Mania. So the next match, Chad Gable versus King Corbin. Is there anything special about this match? Nope, because we've seen this match about four times in the last four weeks. <laughs> gotcha. So yeah. literal filler. Total filler. Once again, breaking news. And uh, the only surprise was they had Gable win. He had been okay. losing every time. He lost. He was the two of them were in the finals of the King Ring tournament from just a few weeks ago. And, yeah, Gable got the win. Uh, but, of course, later on uh, backstage, Gable's getting interviewed, you know, about his win. And the heel, Corbin, has to show up and beat him up and leaves him laying. So, of course, you know, the heel's got to, you know, get the, the last word in. Right. Yeah. So, actually, speaking of, like, King of the Ring and different champions, real quick, I have a question. Who's the current 24-7 champion? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so, they have to I saw had, some shenanigans with Marshmallow. Yeah, that's like from that Mass Singer show, isn't it? Um, he's a DJ. Oh, okay. Well, I know they had somebody with the Mass Singer Twitch and Gamer Smackdown and... or somebody. Okay. Uh, who who is the current twin? Oh no, our truth is the champion again. Finally, is he? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because that was on what Smackdown. They had the Marshmallow guy win. Oh yeah, yeah. Because at Hell in a Cell, Tamina who is a women, a female wrestler. We haven't mm-hmm. seen her in, I don't know how long. And she pinned our truth backstage and she got the title. 
and for some reason there was Tyler Breeze, who's from who's in NXT right now, and she just stood up, punched him, and ran off. I don't know what that was about. And then hmm. later we see over by the foreign announce tables, uh, there's a retired wrestler named Funaki. He does the commentary for the I'm guessing Japanese announced team. I can't remember which one exactly, but uh, Tamina is chased by our truth. Tamina then stands behind Funaki. Our truth does the karate kid crane kick pose, and then Funaki does like a martial arts stance, and then uh, Tamina shoves Funaki into our truth. But Carmella sneaks up behind and hits uh, Tamina with a super kick to the head. But instead of Carmella pinning Tamina and getting the belt back because she was champ just a week or two ago, or last week, actually. Yeah, she lost the belt on SmackDown uh, to, what, the marshmallow guy. <laughs> uh, she tells R-Truth, hey, you pin her. And then R-Truth pins her, and he gets the belt, and they run off. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That belt is probably my favorite just because of how ridiculous it is. I know. It didn't take long to, to just completely go, like, into another world with that. <laughs> and it's so much fun. I, I always have to ask about that belt. Um, we're going to move on to the SmackDown Women's Championship. Bailey versus Charlotte Flair. All right. So, is this another um, feud, or is this just a... I don't know much on the build-up to this fight. Uh, well, really, it was just a, another way to put the belt back on Charlotte again. Um, it seems like they're determined to make her have i'm guessing they they want to one day have her have the same amount of title reigns talking about charlotte Mm -hmm. i think they want to have her have the same amount of title reigns that uh her dad rick flair has uh he's like he's a six according to them he's a 16 time you know world champion Mm -hmm. uh from the amount of times he held the wcw nwa and and uh She's a 10-time champion now because she won the match. She put Bailey in the uh, figure eight submission and Bailey tapped. Um, I didn't want this match to happen. Um, I, I saw this match happen over two years ago in uh, 2017 at the Royal Rumble in San Antonio. Uh, my wife and I went there and saw that live, and that was a great match. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. You can watch it on the network. Uh, but yeah, that was a really good match, and I think at the time Charlotte was SmackDown champ, and Bailey was the challenging for it. I believe I could be wrong, but mm-hmm. that was actually a good match. This time around, it just didn't seem like they were doing anything different to make it extra special. So it's a match we've seen already. So it wasn't anything that I was like, "Come on, put on something di- different, do something different, make it more fun, something." But no. Okay. So, we're going to move on because I think we're going to talk a minute about this one. We're going to talk about the final match of the show. We're going to to hell now. Universal Champion Seth Rollins versus The Fiend Bray Wyatt. Again, The Fiend is a character with the build-up and the mystery that I was enjoying. And apparently this kind of ruins it. Yeah. uh, But it also kind of ruins their universal champion they've been pushing real hard too in Seth Rollins a bit makes him less believable I, I, I'd say as a champion I, I don't think you could salvage anything that was involved in this match it ruined The Fiend it ruined Seth Rollins the universal title it ruined the Hell in a Cell match it really just damaged everything so 
One, I don't know if there was actually a winner. Two, the, I guess as you said, the fact that WWE has glanced over it, the crowd reaction to this, and just everything I've seen on this, it makes me wonder why did they why did they do this? This is something that could have been going really well. They could have used the, these characters and had a feud between them in a way, and instead okay. they did they did this. See, this is where it. Uh, I I say I sound like a broken record. If anyone listening has been uh, kind enough to check out my YouTube channel, I do prediction episodes uh, prior to every uh, WWE pay per view. And then I do a spoiler recap and result video following every WWE pay-per-view. And I sound like a broken record because I mention this almost every episode, I feel like. And if WWE would stop doing what they're doing, I would stop repeating myself. It just seems like WWE either loves to challenge themselves in things they don't need to challenge themselves, or they just can't get out of their own way. And they just like making things extra difficult and just harder for themselves than they ever have to be. This was so easy. This this matchup and the story was so easy. All you had to do, put The Fiend and Rollins in the match, lock the cell door. You could have Rollins attack him with a few you know different types of offense like he did. And have the fiend completely no sell it to show, hey, I'm immortal. I'm not even human. You got nothing. And then just have the fiend destroy Rollins, pin him or make him submit, whatever way you want to finish it. But wrap it up in five minutes, and he's your new universal champion. And then you don't know when the champ will show up at times. And yeah, you. I mean, just you. There's so many possibilities. So. But what they've done, from what I'm understanding, is they've basically made it where that the fiend is now unbeatable, essentially. I mean, that's the the feeling you got from he's only had as the fiends and Bray Wyatt has come back with this brand new character. Isn't this only like the second real match? Uh, technically third, because he I think if I remember right, they had him do some kind of quick match on Raw, but I could be wrong. I thought he did, but I could be wrong. But yeah, the first match he had was at SummerSlam against uh, Finn Balor, and he just ran through him in, in a matter of minutes. Yeah, I and, saw. I watched that, and that was a yeah. cool match. I enjoyed that, that match. I mean, everything was awesome. You had the awesome entrance. You had the severed head lantern, which we had that at Hell in a Cell, thankfully. And unfortunately, once that moment happened, the rest just went down the toilet. <laughs> So how far into this match did it take for it to go wrong? Like, was it good up until a certain point? I mean, the the there's a lot of things wrong that started from the beginning. Like, the entrances were fine. You had the Fiend come out. The music is awesome. The the lighting and everything. The headless or the severed head lantern is amazing. Uh, what I didn't understand is once they were in the ring and the Fiend comes out, with like no lights on and you have like the audience with their lights right. on their phones and such like their fireflies back in the day was what they called it. Uh, but when they got in the ring, instead of turning the lights back on, like all the other matches had been for the night, they put red lights on the, on the ring. They just had red lights shining down. 
And now the Hell in the Cell structure used to be just a regular steel material, regular gray, mm-hmm. silver, steel. And uh, last year, I think it was, they introduced the red color on the cell. It's a very glossy red color now. Okay. So red lighting on a red cell does not really look that great. It, did you ever play the Virtual Boy? Yes. That's exactly what it looked like. It's Oof. a Virtual Boy game. <laughs> Headache inducing. Oh, man. Uh, so, And I saw people tweeting during the match that, and they were posting pictures and showing it on Twitter that this is what it looks like where I'm sitting in the arena. And I'm like, how can you even see inside the ring what's going on? It's so blurry with the red light and the red cage. It just it clashes. So I feel bad for anybody that went there and, you know, could not really see the the match or, you know, it was very blurry at least. And uh, so that, that ruined it for me right there. But here's the thing is that it looks like Vince was going for like a horror movie more than an actual match. And okay. they made The Fiend almost like a Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers. You know, the if you're in a Friday the 13th movie, the, the, the camp people mm-hmm. are like throwing everything they can at Jason and he just keeps coming. Nothing can stop him. And that's kind of what they did here. For Rollins is mom. throwing everything at him and The Fiend is just, I'm, you know, you're not hurting me and I'm still here. Yeah. So you're saying to defeat the fiend, we need to find his mother. There we go. That's a possibility. I mean... Well, I mean, the whole gimmick with Bray Wyatt was uh, the story of Sister Abigail, which is supposed to be like a... Supposedly something happened to Sister Abigail. That's the name of his finishing maneuver. But Sister Abigail, they've toyed around for many years now saying that they were going to have some female wrestler portray sister abigail and be like his long-lost sister something happened to her that would be the story to it or maybe she's dead maybe she's it's like the undertaker who's a, you know the walking dead man maybe we got a dead girl comes in and you know portrays that character or something i don't know but have her show up and you do something with that if you want to go to the supernatural i mean and i could understand going the supernatural it's not like wwe hasn't done that before with kane and the undertaker and it's just I don't I guess I don't understand how they could how they do this and it's just another showing of how it becomes the how WWE just seems to do what they want. I mean from what I'm seeing fans have were chanting restart the match, chant fans were chanting AEW. Um That was pretty other things. Yeah. And WWE didn't cut away from it. Your brand new, your brand new competition that just had their brand new first ever episode of, of uh, AEW Dynamite, and during the last minute of your main event, you have the audience who paid money to see your product, and they're chanting your competitor's company's name, AEW, AEW, and they're screaming bullshit, bullshit, refund. Yeah, it's and. From what I understand, last year Hell in a Cell ended kind of controversially as well. There was no ending. It was that's the second year in a row that they did that. Yeah, last year it was Braun versus Roman, and at the you know, I guess almost the end of the match, uh, Lesnar comes in, jumps, you know, breaks the door, gets into the cell, 
and he f5s everyone and you know knocks them down but that then they just end the show they're like oh well the match is over because brock attacked them it's like um let's but go back like, in this time no rules it's like well let's go back in time to 1997 bad blood 1997 that was the name of the pay review uh that's the very first hell in a cell match Shawn michaels against the undertaker an amazing match one of the greatest of all time you you must watch it that matchup was the first Hell in a Cell because the whole point of Hell in a Cell was they needed to finally have a winner. There must be a winner. They had had matches before, but outside interference or somebody ran away, that kind of thing. And a cage, standard steel cage, was not going to do it because you could still climb out. No, they wanted to surround the entire ring and put a top on it so you could not get out, could not escape. There had to be a final decision. Well, towards the end of the match, Kane makes his debut he comes in, rips the door off the hinges, goes into the ring, he tombstones the Undertaker, and then leaves, and then Shawn Michaels pins the Undertaker to win the match. So last year, one of those two could have easily crawled over and pinned the other one, and last night, we could have just had some you know, submission or pin following all the shenanigans with the weapons and whatnot. So... I guess my question then becomes, so Seth got to keep the belt. Yes, because he never was pinned so or submitted. No pin. So yeah. do you, does that even does this even make it possible for the Fiend to ever win the belt, or does it mean that he's almost guaranteed to win the belt if he can't if he can't if he can't lose? I'm at a loss of words because I don't know where they're going to go. I don't know. they they dig themselves out of this hole that they've put, they've put themselves in. I don't know why you would book a match where you're going to be like, you know what? We can't have the fiend lose his like second pay-per-view match. And we're not ready to get rid of the belt from Seth. Yeah. Even though there's a lots of, of talk lately that they haven't been happy with his title run. And I don't blame them. I'm not happy with it either, but uh, you know, they have only themselves to blame for that. (laughs) It's not right. Seth that I blame. It's he's given you know whatever they want him to do, and if it sucks, it sucks. So <laughs> yeah, you can only do with what given by the writers. Yeah. So I mean, and there were other ways they could have done this. They could have had some other you know plot twist moment or something. But otherwise, if you just can't pull it off right, don't book it. Um, I I mentioned this on my recap. And I was trying to find it on Twitter, but I couldn't see it because I think they'd probably delete it. I think WWE deleted this. Uh, a couple days before Hell in a Cell, they posted a poll on Twitter uh, asking you, the fan, you, the you know follower, hey, how do you think the match between Bray Wyatt and Rollins is going to end at Hell in a Cell? And they gave you three options. Penfall, submission, disqualification. Why the hell would you put disqualification as an option when it's a freaking Hell in a Cell match and there is no disqualification? <laughs> right. Actually, that's and that's a good question. When you can't have a DQ in a match, how are you going to have a DQ? Op- yeah. And then like you mentioned before we started recording... WWE posted uh, early this morning. I saw it about. I saw it finally. I think around five five thirty this morning uh, that uh, they now ruled it as the referee stopped the match, so it did not end in a disqualification. The referee chose to stop that. I'm like, okay, well, so you're gonna fire that ref, right? 
Is that the storyline we go to then? Because why would the ref, you know, take it upon himself to do this when he's breaking the rules? Something. Right. Oh, WWE. I guess that's. <laughs> it's hard, I guess, for them to try to figure out where to go from here, and I'm not sure what they can what they can do. The. How? Oh, let me ask you. How would you have booked the finish? Let's say you, you got to go in there and you're like, you know what? I get five, the last five minutes of this. Uh, the the, the buildup here was Rollins hits him with everything. He hits him. He he flat out had the fiend laid out on the uh, on the floor or in in the ring on the ground, face down or face up. Rollins stands over the fiend with a steel chair, and he straight up. It looks like he did, but I mean, of course, he protected him. But he straight up smacks him in the face with a steel chair. You don't see mm-hmm. that these days uh, because they're totally against chair, chair shots to the head because of all the concussion stuff. Yeah. But he straight up smacks him in the face, which, of course, that mask probably is very well protective. Oh, yeah. Um, he lays a chair over the fiend's face, gets a ladder, jams the ladder straight down onto the chair. Then he lays the ladder on top of the fiend, uh, his face, puts the chair between the two rungs. And then he gets a toolbox, smashes the toolbox repeatedly onto the ladder. Then he goes out to get the sledgehammer, and the ref tries to stop him there, but Seth ends up smashing the uh, sledgehammer onto them, and then that's when the ref called for it. But leading up to that, how would you have booked it otherwise? I mean, it really becomes a matter of, you know, who, if, for W, well, from my perspective, if you really, if they're trying to put the fiend as, you know, and he can't be beat, then you can have him go through a lot of those things. But instead of even getting to that with the amount of pinfalls that they attempted, I, you know, he stomped him and used his finisher how many times? Oh, at least 10 times he hit the stomp. It so was you know ridiculous. What? Maybe after that, maybe after the fifth one, you could have just had the fiend get up and mandible claw him into a submission and just... Like it didn't phase him, and he was just toying, letting letting Seth wear himself out. Right. Like you could have cut a lot of time off of that match that way, and not ended it that way. Or the fiend could have gotten something and pinned him with it, or or something. Because the fiend as a title holder would be a great thing, just like you said. He pops up in little pre-recorded snippets, and just the way they do the 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 Firefly Funhouse, um. You could you could even have Bray Wyatt sit there going, "Hey, how how did I get this guy's?" And then when he starts being the fiend, you know, just holding it up, right? And I think There's the fiend so much they could have done with that, and I yeah. would have actually loved to have seen that happen. If they were gonna have Seth win, then you should you need to be willing to let the fiend take a fall, and if it needs to be something extreme to do it, if he's landing ten finishers, that's pretty extreme to finish a guy. Yeah. And I think the fiend as champ again opens up a lot of possibilities. But I know a lot of people are against uh, Brock Lesnar ever being champion. Which of course, right now he's the WWE champion because he won the title on SmackDown in like four seconds over Kofi. Which that was uh, that was interesting too. Uh, yeah, I actually I heard. About I actually that. liked that though. I actually liked the results in that match. A lot of people don't, but I really liked it actually. But I think Bray Wyatt. As uh, or as the character, the Fiend as Universal Champion is great too. Because he, the reason people don't like Lesnar as champion is because he's not on every episode of Raw or SmackDown. He's not at every pay per view, etc. But to me, I think 
you know what? The less I see of the champion, the more special it is when I do get to see that. And so the Fiend not showing up at every Raw to defend the title is fine with me. As long as you're showing up at the pay-per-view to defend it, then great, because you can do a lot with those Firefly Funhouse skits to build a match against other you know, contenders for the title. When it comes to getting those people who are going to contend to start those scenes, he can appear on a Raw like once a month to attack them. Yeah, totally. And then just disappear like they'd been doing leading into this with different wrestlers. I'm waiting to see... Uh, well, I was hoping to see tonight on Raw had The Fiend won the belt. Like, you know, it would have made sense. I would have wanted to not see The Fiend on Raw, but I want to see Mr. Rogers Bray Wyatt come out and just be like, yowie, wowie, that was a crazy night for, for you know, Hell in a Cell, and wow, wonder if Rollins is going to be okay, and, uh, you know, just really play it big and cheerful, mm-hmm. and then, of course, bring out the scary stuff, but, you know, it'd be interesting to see where it's almost like, okay, is this really just another character, or has he got split personality, or are we going to go a little more deep into the psychology here? It really adds a lot more, you know, intriguement to it, I think. Well, and I think WWE's decision not to have either of them actually appear on Raw tonight may have been a bad one. Because this is something they needed to find. They needed to address this to the fans as to if they made this decision, what can they do instead of just avoiding it like a, like like anything else? Yeah, um, I think it. I think it made on, them look more foolish. Like attacking it head on and having Seth come out all you know beat up or a firefly a quick firefly funhouse where you see just a beat up bray wyatt sitting there and he's got all black and blue or or he's perfectly fine after all of that and just laughing it off and sets all beat up and it plays while sets in the ring and like then mm-hmm. the fiend just comes out and attacks him real quick and walks off with the title belt yeah like that would have been okay it wouldn't have saved any of this but it at least would have done something no, the, with the way they avoid, they avoid, every time after a pay-per-view, the following, you know, Monday Night Raw, before the show plays, they generally have a long, strewn-out video package highlighting all the big stuff that happened the night before. And tonight on Raw, we didn't get any uh, video recap at the beginning. We got a stupid uh cuck storyline that's going on with Lana and Lashley and Rusev and all this stuff. And, I saw the oh, tweet about that. Yeah, and then not until 15 minutes before the show ends, we get a highly edited uh, recap of little snippets that happened in the main event, uh, which was, again, heavily edited. They completely so, took out audio. I'm sure if you watch the match now on the network, you're not going to hear the AEW chants or the the bullshit and all that stuff. I would say, when I watch it, I will let you know. Because I'm curious to see if WWE did edit that, especially with that video and audio footage out there, because if they do, then that makes them look even worse. I mean, I'm sure they they did. It's not the first time. They, They do that every time, actually. I mean... There's, there's other pay-per-views in just this past year where people were not happy with, you know, maybe it was a Roman Reigns victory at the end of the show and people were booing it. Then you watch the re- the the replay and it's like, oh, they're cheering. What? And they just dub in cheers. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see, but 
You know, I guess all of this can be summed up by the fact they had Randy Orton in this show, so we could always just blame him. There we go. Hashtag blame Orton. So, with that, Mr. Junkie, I do want to thank you for joining us to, or, well, joining me. There is no us on this particular segment. Um, but thank you so much for making the time to join me this evening and chat oh, a little absolutely. bit about this. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to, to rant some more because I, 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 I think I held back a little bit on my uh, recap video last night, which was uh, different because uh, generally this really gets my blood pumping and I'm just uh, tearing into WWE. But the thing is, and people, I don't want anyone listening to get the wrong idea. I love professional wrestling and I have been a devoted wrestling fan to the WWE, WWF company ever since I was five years old when I first saw WrestleMania on satellite television. And that's why I still, you know, to this day, through the highs and lows, people always, you know, talk to me, ask me, like, hey, sometimes it seems like you're not happy with the product. I'm like, well, yeah, because the product sucks sometimes. Doesn't mean I'm going to completely stop watching because I look at it like, hey, you got to take the good with the bad. And, you know, the wrestling is cyclical. It comes around. It comes back around. You get you got to stick around for those moments because I know it can be freaking awesome. And so. If I, if I manage to wage through all the slop somewhere in there, I'm going to find that little golden nugget, something. Well, that's true of anything. I mean, even people's favorite television shows, not every season's great. Some seasons are a slog of a season to get through, and it has hidden gems. Um, yeah. And that's the thing. It's just like with any sport that you're a fan of, you know, I personally as a baseball fan, my favorite team went through years of, went through a, good three four five years of just nothing worth watching on the product in the field but i still watch the games because well here we are go in the playoffs three years in a row and a world yep. championship behind us oh yeah so you stick around just for moments like that but i guess that being said mr junkie um once again thank you for joining me um sir anything that you'd like to plug for us this after or this evening rather uh, yes, uh, we still have my Halloween Junkie Contest number five happening right now on the YouTube channel. So if you go to my YouTube channel and find the uh, Halloween Junkie Contest five announcement video, gives you all the details how to be a part of it. It's free to enter. All you got to do is be a subscriber to the channel and post comments on that video. For five extra bonus entries, you can send me a Halloween-themed greeting card to my P.O. Box. My P.O. Box is... Uh, the address is in the description of all my videos. And the winner is going to get a Halloween-themed mystery box. The winner will be announced in a raffle video that I'll be doing at the end of next week after the uh, conclusion of the contest, which is uh, October 15th by midnight. October 15th by midnight, you got to have your entry in, whether it's commenting or sending me a card to get the extra entries. And then I'll be doing a Q&A video uh, at the end of that week announcing the winner. And we'll do a raffle on the video. And again, that winner is going to get a Halloween-themed mystery box. If you haven't been a part of my previous years, definitely go check out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I've posted the the winners from previous years. I believe, I even, yeah, I have the uh, photos announcement showing you what some of the winners have received last uh, few years. So it's a mystery box full of Halloween-themed items, and it's awesome. And Hey, it's my way of saying thanks to all the people that check out my content. 
and and you know i love halloween so it's a win-win for everyone and links to the video and mr junkie's channel in the description for the podcast as always once again mr junkie thank you for joining me hey thank you so much for having me on man Once again, thank you to Mr. Pop Culture Junkie for joining us for that riveting conversation on Hell in a Cell. Um, like I mentioned, I'll be posting links down in the description for the podcast for where to check out his Halloween Junkie contest, as well as his YouTube channel, his Twitter and Instagram as well. So, I don't have a PSA for y'all this week. That is kind of Miss Nancy's thing, so that'll return next week as well. But thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.